Welcome to The Reality Revolution. I am your host, Brian Scott. Today I found a live lecture transcript for Joseph Murphy that I wanted to read that I found wonderful. It carries some unique tidbits regarding the law of attraction. Joseph Murphy was one of the very best teachers of the law of attraction, and here he addresses it specifically with several powerful affirmations so that you can understand its use in your daily life. Dr. Joseph Murphy, The Law of Attraction The universal life principle is speaking through you now as a desire, for God speaks to man through desire. You desire to be greater than you are. You desire health, love, peace, harmony, abundance, and security. If you don't, you're abnormal. Your ultimate desire is to have a sense of oneness with God, which is called the yoga of love. This life principle will reveal to you the way for the fulfillment of your dream. It knows how to bring it to pass, but you must open your mind and heart and receive wholeheartedly the gift of the one who forever is. Cast out of your mind all preconceived notions, false beliefs, and superstitions, and realize, before you call, I will answer. While you are yet speaking, I will hear. This means that you must order your mind and thoughts to conform to the age-old truth that whatever you are seeking already exists in the infinite mind. It's already there. All you have to do is to identify mentally and emotionally with your desire, idea, plan, or purpose, realizing it as real as your hand or heart. For example, you may have a new invention in your mind. Although you haven't committed it to paper or drawn a diagram, a good, sensitive psychic, medium, or clairvoyant can describe that invention. How? Because it is already in your mind, and you are in rapport with the sensitive or the psychic, and they can describe it. How? Because it's already there. That is the reality of it. As you walk the earth in the assumption that your prayer is answered, you shall have the joy of experiencing its reality objectively. The invention and the part of the inventor is as real as its objective counterpart. This is why your desire or new project is also real subjectively speaking. Your new book, your new play, where is it? It's in your mind. It's real. It has form, shape, and substance in another dimension of mind. I saw a girl dancing at Jasper Park Lodge. It was easy to see the wisdom, intelligence, order, and rhythm of the spirit flowing through her. She said she was dancing for God. To use her own term, she received tremendous applause for work well done. That's wisdom, isn't it? You see the beauty, the order, the symmetry, the proportion, the grace, the charm. All that is wisdom. She deserved the praise. She danced graciously, gloriously, and rhythmically. She told me that her teacher told her to always pray that God was dancing through her and that God's beauty, order, proportion, and wisdom would always function through her. Struggling, toiling, and moiling are not the answer. Reverence for the infinite and contracting the infinite power, that is the answer. The late Henry Hamblin, author of the Science of Thought Review, told me that he was hard-pressed financially. He said one day, when he was walking home in the snow, he suddenly became aware that the wealth, 
love, and goodness of God were like the billions of snowflakes falling all over London. He said, I opened my mind and heart at that moment to God's infinite riches, knowing that God's wealth, love, and inspiration were falling into my mind and heart like the snowflakes were falling all over London. From that moment forward, wealth flowed to him freely, joyously, and endlessly. He never lacked wealth all the days of his life. He changed his mind, and according to the change in his mind, was it done unto him. London, with its fog and snow, the environment hadn't changed. Hamblin's office was the same. Everything was the same, but he had changed. He had changed internally, and he had become an instrument for the riches of life, spiritually, mentally, and in all ways. There's no such thing as something for nothing. You must always pay the price, and the coin, of course, is attention. Give your attention to music, electricity, or anything, and love it, and it will give its secrets back to you. Love truth, and say you want to know the inner meaning of the Bible. For example, I want to know what all these allegories and parables mean. And if you have a hunger and thirst, all the inner meanings will be given to you. Whether given to you from within, like Quimby, or through a teacher, what difference does it make? For all wisdom is within you. That wisdom will be transmitted to you as you realize that it is within you. As you practice music or whatever it is you fall in love with, men and women will pay you in money and praise. This happened to Vera, our organist. She is invited here, there, and everywhere, so much so that she can't accept all the invitations. She loves music and has practiced it and given attention to it and paid the price. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the presence and power of God functioning in you. And with all thy getting, you are told, get understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will make plain thy path. Trust him and believe in him, and he will bring it to pass. Here's an interesting article from the Times on May 2nd, 1975. It is about a woman who paid the price. It is called In the Driver's Seat. And the byline reads, Maud is still wheeling and dealing at age 103. You can rest assured she paid the price in serenity, tranquility, good humor, and love of the divine. This is what the article says. Maud Toole peers out from behind her Coke bottle glasses, walking in small, slow steps toward her pride and joy. For most people her age, pride and joy would mean great-grandchildren or maybe even great-great-grandchildren, but for the 103-year-old Maud, the greatest thing in her life is her car. Despite the fact that she is 38 years past the retirement age, she recently passed the test for a renewal of her Californian driver's license for the 11th straight year. Maud is one of the 10 oldest drivers in the state, but that is just part of her story. As spry at 103, as most are at 65, she handles payments for a home mortgage company seven days a week. I'll never retire, she said, because if I ever did, I'd starve. They just don't pay enough with Social Security for even an old person like me to eat these days. This way, I never have to apologize to anyone. I can live the way I want and do the things I want without always being told what to do. Mrs. Toll lives in an Inkwood apartment house. Her best friend and constant companion, Ida Gleason, lives in a nearby apartment. Mrs. Gleason is another spring chicken. She's only 93. They ride in the crowded streets of Inglewood every day, bound for the market, the bank, or the local park, 
where they loved to spend their time playing cards under a shady tree. Mrs. Toll began driving in 1965 after her husband died. Since then, it has been she and Ida Gleason on their own. Mrs. Toll said she wouldn't have it any other way. I don't take any favors, she said. I earn everything I get. I've always made my own way, and I always will. But most of all, Mrs. Toll loves her car, a shiny brown and white electric ring two-seater. It only gives 20 miles an hour, but somehow it seems much faster. She carefully rolls back the cover that has kept the paint job looking new for four years. This task takes about 10 minutes, and then she's ready to unlock the doors. Again, the utmost care is used to make sure the paint isn't scratched. Finally, she climbs in and Mrs. Gleason sits beside her. With a gentle whirring sound, Mrs. Toll and Mrs. Gleason are off for another busy day. That's the end of the article. It's interesting, isn't it? She loves life. She paid the price. And she's interested in life. She isn't interested in a handout or things of that nature. She's interested in contributing to humanity and has a great love for life. Thou will show me the path of life. Serenity, tranquility, humor, and laughter. That's what keeps you young. You know, patience never grows old. Love never grows old. Joy never grows old. Harmony never grows old. Laughter never grows old. Goodwill never grows old. Kindness, gentleness, compassion, and understanding never grow old. These are eternal, aren't they? The life principle never grows old. It was never born. It will never die. Water wets it not, and fire burns it not, and wind blows it not away. So the life principle in you is eternal. We grow old when we are bitter, resentful, hateful, and full of self-condemnation and ill will. These emotions and thoughts corrode our soul, and we grow old regardless of our chronological age. Here's an article published by Webb Garson in the newspaper some time ago called A Vision Gave an Inventor an Idea That Changed the World. It is about a man who paid the price with a hunger and thirst and great interest. The byline reads, The man who invented the steam engine and forever changed the world got his idea from a vision. The engine was given to me from the outside, James Watt said. I did not create it. I only accepted it. Watt was born in Scotland in 1736 and had little formal education. He earned his living as a repairman in Glasgow. I could repair nearly every kind of mechanical device, Watt once said. One day in 1764, a customer brought a defective engine into my shop. This one event was to change my life completely. A new common engine was a very crude steam engine that was occasionally used in mines to pump out water, but it was never very efficient, consuming a lot of energy and accomplishing very little work. While Watt was fixing the engine, he conceived the idea of an entirely new kind of steam engine that would overcome all the faults of the new common engine. But he lacked the knowledge to convert his idea into reality. Then a vision came to him one afternoon, in May 1766, while he was walking in a Glasgow park thinking about and dwelling upon the engine. In the vision, Watt said he saw his steam engine in complete detail. Before I had walked much further, the whole thing was arranged in my mind. The next morning, he went to work, and in less than 12 hours, he had built a new engine that efficiently harnessed the power of steam. He patented the idea in 1781, and in 1782 won additional patents for improvements. There have been few changes in the engine since 1782. 
Watt's invention was soon put to work in factories, replacing animals and men, and triggering the start of the Industrial Revolution. This is why I said to you that you can have an idea worth a fortune. You can have an idea that puts millions of people to work. James Watt paid the price. The coin that he paid was attention, interest, and devotion. He realized that he could bring forth an engine that would serve humanity. Here's another article about a man who paid the price. It is called Try and Try Again and was written by Bill Vinosky for the Herald Examiner in April 1775. Of course, there's nothing new about the contents of this article. You have read these types of stories in your history. However, it's interesting to show that you must pay the price. Bill says that there are a number of qualities that contribute to personal success in life. Some people are born with good parents, or in a favorable country, or social class, or with natural, physical, and mental endowments that are completely out of their control. But the qualities that really count are the ones we can do something about, and among these, nothing is so important as the quality of persistence. You may pick at random from a library shelf the biography of any man or woman who has made a lasting contribution to humanity. Some were extremely brilliant, and others showed uncommon persistence. Let's take the case of Albert Einstein in grade school. He was such an unimpressive student that when his father asked the headmaster what profession young Albert should pursue, the headmaster replied, it really doesn't matter because he will never make a success at anything. Einstein became one of the premier intellectuals of the 20th century and probably the greatest physicist of all time, more by reason of determined persistence than because of an easy genius. Many similar cases can be cited. We are celebrating the 100th year of Winston Churchill. In school, he was a very slow student, and as a public servant, his career was thought to be rather dull, and he failed to achieve most of his dreams and goals. But by the staying alert and alive, he was prepared when the rare opportunity for leadership came at age 66. At a time when most men are retired, he became the British Prime Minister in 1941 and rallied not only his countrymen, but all of the Western world. Because of his bulldog tenacity, he came to be regarded as the greatest political leader of the 20th century. He paid the price, didn't he? He became a prolific public speaker as well. He persisted with attention, devotion, loyalty, stick to and refused to take no for an answer. He always knew there was power that responded. The story of America's greatest statesman is likewise not a story of easy success, but one of dogged persistence. He failed in business in 1831, was defeated for the state legislature in 1833. He was elected as the state legislature in 1834. His sweetheart died in 1835, and he had a nervous breakdown in 1836. He was defeated for speaker in 1838. He was defeated for elector in 1840. He was defeated for Congress in 1843. Finally, he was elected for one term in Congress in 1846, only to be defeated again for Congress in 1848. He was defeated for the Senate in 1855 and was defeated for vice president in 1856. He was defeated again for the Senate in 1858. Finally, in 1860, he was elected as the President of the United States. There was just a few rough spots in the life of Abraham Lincoln. Franklin Roosevelt was President of the United States longer than any other man, was severely crippled by polio and served all of those years through depression and war in a wheelchair. One of his great strengths was his powerful use of public speaking. 
especially at a time when the radio had given direct access to the entire American population. Lincoln's famous fireside chats sounded informal and off-the-cuff, but at Hyde Park, New York, is a glass case displaying nine drafts of one of Roosevelt's famous speeches. The first was rough, the second improved, and the third showed still greater improvement. By the eighth draft, only one word had to be changed before the ninth and final draft was run. Trifle, said Michelangelo, makes perfection, but perfection itself is not trifle. Perhaps you thought these fireside chats, I heard many of them. I'm sure you did too. Was Lincoln talking off the cuff? No. Think of the hours, perhaps the days, and all the experts and people who gathered together to give him all the data and the information. Think of the time Lincoln spent going over it again and again and again. That's perfection, isn't it? Perfection is not a trifle. And of course, you know that his talks had a tremendous influence. Churchill was also a spellbinder who appeared to speak completely extemporaneously, but as one of his biographers correctly noted, Sir Winston Churchill spent most of his life working on his impromptu speeches. I heard him talk once, and it seemed like he was talking off the cuff. No, there were days and weeks behind it, and we are told he would pace the floor and talk to himself, perhaps for hours perfecting his speech. Press on. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education alone will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Well, that article written by Bill Vernosky, Try and Try Again, written for the Herald Examiner, will remind you of history. It is good to be reminded that these men paid the price. They had to pay the coin of persistence, determination, stick-to-itiveness, and attention. Attention is the key to life and success. If thine eye be single, the whole body is full of light. Eye is spiritual perception and awareness. If you put this God presence first in your life and realize supreme and omnipotence is the only presence, power, and cause and substance, if you give all honor, allegiance, and devotion to that power, that great truth, and realize it's your guide, your counselor, your way-shower, your troubleshooter, your adjuster, your paymaster, and the source of all your blessings, think of the wonders that would happen in your life. Yes, your attention, devotion, and loyalty to it. But the minute you give power to sticks and stones and created things, men and women, the weather and the many gods you have, that means you're not willing to pay the price. One condition doesn't create another. One circumstance does not create another. The price is the one power, the one presence, the one cause, and the one substance. There is none else. That's the great illumination. That's the final word. When you awaken to that, you are a real truth student. Then, and only then, are you a truth student. Now be honest with yourself and ask yourself this question. Do I really believe in my heart that there is only one presence as the living spirit within me? It's omnipotent, omnipresent, omni-action. It is all there is. It is the very ground I'm walking on. Do I then give any power to the phenomenalistic world or any created thing? Do I give power to stars, to the sun and moon, the weather? men and women, sticks and stones, karma, or past lives? Do I give power to voodoo, evil entities, or devils, which of course don't exist? 
there isn't any room for a devil. In all, over all, and through all, I am, and there is none else. From the rising of the sun to the settling of the same, there is none else. Are you willing to pay the price? You see, you must pay that price, and then you are illumined, then you are free. Because from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, there is none else. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory you shall not give to another. Neither shall you give my praise. I am the law. That is my name. I am is life awareness. There is none else. There is only one presence, one power, one cause, and one substance. It will be wonderful when you come to that conclusion, that definite conclusion. Then you will be like Thomas Troward, a judge in the Punjab of India. Harry Gaze, who used to speak for me once in a while, was a great friend of Troward's, and he used to come and hear Harry lecture in London. They said to Troward, What would you do, Mr. Troward, if all the black magicians were praying against you and using the death prayer? You know what Troward said? He said, I'd say cockle-doodle-doo. Why? Because he knew where the power was. He knew no one had the power to curse him. A suggestion is an easy power if people accept it, but it is not the power. The power is the one power moving as unity. No divisions or quarrels exist within it. How could spirit fight itself? How could one part of spirit fight another part of spirit in any part of the world? Well, that's the greatest of all truths, friends. The Lord thy God is a jealous God. This means jealous in the sense you mustn't know another, not jealous from a human standpoint. The minute you give power to any other created thing, that moment your mind is divided. You are the double-minded person unstable in all your ways. No such a man can ask anything of God, for he's like the surge of the sea tossed to and fro, a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. The double-minded man is like the woman I have talked about in previous lectures who is blaming the climate in Denver, blaming her genes and chromosomes and heredity, and even blaming her poor circumstances on the sun. But the cause was within herself. She eventually learned to pay the price and receive a healing. On May 6th, 1975, in the Enquirer, there was an article by Lee Harrison entitled, A Doctor is Healed of Crippling Disease. Medicine failed me, he said. Then I was cured by the miracle of prayer. The article is as follows. Dr. Phil Miles was once skeptical about supernatural healing, but not anymore. For when a bizarre disease attacked his body, gnarling and paralyzing his limbs, it was faith, not modern medicine, that cured him. It was a miracle, declared the El Paso, Texas physician, with joy shining in his eyes. It has given me new life. I am walking, living, laughing proof that there is a healing force much more powerful than any man on this earth. For seven years, Dr. Miles had suffered from this strange disease which caused his arms and legs to jerk spasmodically and twist into rigid positions. Dr. Miles, formerly on the staff of the prestigious Walter Reed Medical Center called in some of the finest neurologists in America, but even they couldn't diagnose his illness. Finally, bedridden and growing worse every hour, the heart-sick young doctor turned in desperation to his only remaining hope, faith. Faith in God, he asked a Christian neighbor to come to his bedside and help him pray for his recovery. The doctor will never forget that incredible day, every moment, every happening, is etched 
into his memory. I was sobbing uncontrollably as I uttered the words of that prayer, he recalled. No sooner had the final words left my lips when to my utter astonishment my hands, which had been clenched like claws for two days, suddenly began to open. A second later the rigid muscles in my feet began to relax. I realized I was witnessing the power of the supernatural. Within two days, he said, he was back on his feet. Today, more than two years later, he is still healthy and working again as a specialist in obstetrics and gynecology at William Beaumont Army Medical Center in El Paso, Texas. Dr. Miles, 36 years of age, said the unknown disease struck him without warning in 1965. I was examined by some of the best neurologists in the country. They couldn't positively diagnose my illness. In my heart, I knew I had a form of multiple sclerosis. Well, here's a man who paid the price. He tried everything. And then he surrendered to the God presence, which created him, which knows all things. He prayed a firm and effectual prayer of a righteous man. He called in a neighbor and they prayed together, a humble prayer, but a complete surrender, recognizing a great truth in his heart. He sobbed while he prayed. There's nothing wrong with that. It means humility, a complete surrender, turning the whole thing over to that which is, which knows all and sees all. The Bible puts it this way, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord thy God. I will come and heal thee. I will restore health into thee and heal thee of thy wounds, says the Lord. Who heals all their diseases? Who satisfies their mouths with good things? Who restores their youth? Are you going to say, it is hard for me? Is the Lord's hand shortened that he cannot save you? Realize that every man has to pay the price. And that price is attention, recognition, acceptance, and conviction. You can pay the price too. All you have to do is call upon the power and it answers you. It is an impersonal power. It is no respecter of persons. Let us dwell upon these great truths. God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. With God all things are possible. Before you call, I will answer. While you are yet speaking, I will hear. According to your faith, be it done unto you. If you can believe, all things are possible to you who believes. You shall call upon me, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. The Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? The Lord is the strength of your life. Of whom shall you be afraid? God in the midst of you is guiding you now. Affirmations. Here is what Dr. Joseph Murphy has to say about the use of affirmations. To affirm is to state that it is so, and as you maintain this attitude of mind as true, regardless of all evidence to the contrary, you will receive an answer to your prayer. Your thought can only affirm, for even if you deny something, you are actually affirming the presence of what you deny. Repeating an affirmation, knowing what you are saying and why you are saying it, leads the mind to that state of consciousness where it accepts that which you state as true. Keep on affirming the truths of life until you get the subconscious reaction which satisfies. Affirmation 1. There is a divine plan for my life which is falling perfectly into place now. God reveals to me original and wonderful ideas that bless humanity in countless ways. I am a channel for the divine energy. 
God flows through me as harmony, health, peace, joy, wholeness, beauty, and abundance. I am divinely guided in all my ways. I surrender myself to God, and I wish for all the blessings of life. God is guiding, protecting, and prospering me now. Affirmation 2. Divine law and order governs my life. Divine right action reigns supreme. Divine success is mine. Divine harmony is mine. Divine peace fills my soul. Divine love saturates my whole being. Divine abundance is mine. Divine love goes before me today and every day, making straight, joyous, and glorious my way. Affirmation 3. God is guiding me to my true place. What I am seeking is seeking me. Divine love fills my soul and divine peace fills my mind and heart. Infinite intelligence knows the most remarkable way for me to receive all the good that life has to offer, and I am being divinely directed to that endeavor now. By day and by night, I am advancing, moving forward, and growing. There is harmony, peace, love, and understanding in all aspects of my life. Divine right action and divine peace are operating in my life. God is guiding, directing, and prospering me now. Affirmation 4. Father, you know all things. Reveal to me the answers. Guide me. Comfort me. Prosper me and let your river of peace flood my mind and heart. Affirmation 5. The light of God surrounds me. The light of God enfolds me. The power of God protects me. The presence of God watches over me. Wherever I am, God is and all is well. And this concludes The Law of Attraction by Joseph Murphy. I find it very interesting in a lecture titled The Law of Attraction, that is the title of the lecture, that he never uses the words Law of Attraction. In fact, very rarely have I ever heard Joseph Murphy even use those words, but that is what he was teaching. If you look at the movie The Secret, where you probably first learned about the Law of Attraction, they barely mention the word God in that movie. Here, that's all he's mentioning. The key understanding from this lecture is paying the price, a phrase that he used over and over and over again. And what is that price? The price is your attention. Whatever you put your attention on with love and focus is what will come to you. So what is it you're putting your attention on? Are you looking at your phone right now? What is it you're putting your attention on? Is it the news? Is it your worries? What is it you're putting your attention on? Here he gives several amazing examples, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, of people that did not give up, that continue to pay the price of attention and persistence and persevered in their beliefs that they would get what they wanted. And it came to them. The universal life principle is working through you and it is paying attention to what you pay attention to. Your attention and desire are the key. And he defines desire as what God speaks to man through desire. It's God speaking to you through this desire. You desire to be greater than you are. You desire all those wonderful things in life, love and wealth, abundance, security. Of course you do. But what are you putting your attention on? If you put your attention on the things you desire, they will come to you. All you have to do is pay the price. 
You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com. And welcome to The Reality Revolution. <laughs>